Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dungeon Jedi Masters podcast, Season 3, Episode 20. Hey, Tegan, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. I finally caught up on my Star Wars show, so I feel I can get back on Reddit, so happy about that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's it's tough to not be on top of that stuff. Andor has been fantastic for those that are still catching up on that. Uh, have you watched the Tales of the Jedi stuff? I haven't yet. I did, so yeah, it's real quick. It was like um, 40 minutes to an hour. I got finished that Yeah, really I think it's like six episodes, like, 18 yeah. 20 minutes maybe or something yeah that looks good was that good oh definitely good uh so some really cool stories if you like dooku they did some really like nice character work with him and i'm always a big dooku fan so definitely enjoyed it and yeah andor has been one of my favorites it feels like old like legend star wars kind of the same darker tone and kind of mature like level of storytelling and it's been it's been a blast for me yeah, Andor, you know, is is up there with one of my favorite Star Wars pieces of of media out there. It's it's just been so good. So, tease a little bit of our next episode um, already here, just because we're talking about it. You know, I think we'll we'll lean into that as far as how you can utilize some of that content out there for for campaigns. So, anyway, uh, today's episode is uh, we have a, a guest on today, a rich, fantastic individual, knows his stuff very well great friend and we're going to talk about story beats so another aspect kind of as we talk about stories and things like that and and how to utilize those when you run a campaign and and really just kind of keep that going and keep the interest at the table so we'll bring him in a little bit later but on the front end of course uh be sure to check out dungeonjedimasters.com for access to all of our content including this podcast our youtube channel for vod's of actual plays and other how to's and tutorials things like that uh, you can get to our Twitter or Instagram for updates on our content. Instagram has some uh, cool little freebies like NPCs, custom items, things of that nature. And then uh, Twitch for live actual plays that we do. Uh, Tegan, tell us what we have for Twitch uh, coming up for you. Definitely. So this will be a pretty busy week. So we've got uh, Stranded on Tuesday with our usual Star Wars Tuesdays. Uh, so Keith, uh, we're uh, coming into a pretty big battle. Uh, he had a fun, uh, if, you're, if you're not caught up, check out the last video. Uh, he had a fun idea because we looked like we we're going into a TPK, but uh, he used uh, one of Matt Colville's suggestions and we got to meet another crew of people and play them for the, that session and bring them in to help us out. So uh, looking forward to see how that plays out. So check that out Tuesday. Uh, but also uh, for Friday, we're running with the crew of our patrons. We're doing the Order 66 Challenge. So uh, our uh, was it a September uh, Patreon giveaway. Uh, so we're going to be running through it. Uh, my first time playing it out with a live crew. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they do and uh, see kind of what score they can come up with at the end and how long they'll survive uh, through the onslaught. So come check it out. It'll be on my Twitch channel, TNJ Gaming. Uh, Stranded starts at 6.30 on Tuesday, and then Order 66 will start at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. Uh, so come through, hang out, and see how our other patrons do. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to both of that. Uh, very cool concept there in the Order 66 Challenge. If you haven't yet, check that out. And uh, that is our last piece uh, to touch on here is Patreon, part of our content there. Uh, Patreon is the best way to support the content that we put out. And as a supporter, you do gain access to some benefits, including that Order 66 Challenge, as well as on time of this podcast, Tuesday here, uh, all Tier 2 members will gain the last piece in the uh, Campaign and Adventure Development Series that we're putting together and we round things out with story arcs and campaign length uh, we'll touch on how do you end a campaign or wrap a campaign up how do you kind of look at how long a campaign should be could be and then within that the story arcs that you put together and that'll wrap that series all up together there so take a look at that tier two tier three has access to that already as well we do have some new patrons too at the time of this as well so shout out to melody and scott at tier two and at tier three, Robert, Joshua, and Cakeman89. Appreciate it to you and all of our existing Patreons as well. I appreciate it very much uh, what you do to help us continue with this content. 
another perk, speaking of uh, Patreon perks, uh, Tier 3 members also have access, if they would like, to play-by-post games. Uh, Tegan, you're running one currently on the Dungeon Jedi Master uh, server, and I had we had some interest from some other patrons about that, and uh, I'm going to spin up another game. So I have three players currently, so I'll have... Uh, I can fit in at least two more uh, in that game. So we're just getting started. So if you're interested at a tier three level of the Patreon, uh, you can get into that and try out play by post and and see uh, what adventure that is. And I'm gonna do this one a a little bit shorter uh, adventure. So we'll have a cutoff. So that way, you know, if if you don't wanna commit to a real long-term thing, we end, we have a, a full story that ends and then you can either stay with it or dip out if you need. I do believe that's everything on the front end for us. Uh, Tegan, looks like there's just one piece of Star Wars 5e content here. New archetype, Demolition Engineering. Tell us about that. Uh, definitely. I think this will be a popular one. If you wanted to, to make your engineer just uh, explosive theme, this is the way to do it. Uh, so with Demolition Engineering, uh, basically level three, you're going to get proficiency uh, in both Demolitionist kit. Uh, as well as uh, getting the, to be able to pick up the grenade launcher as well as rocket launcher uh, as an engineer. Uh, also with that, you're going to get a couple different things that uh, you can do with kind of your demolitionist kit. Uh, you get the demo pack, uh, which gives you some different options for combat. Uh, you can use an action and with uh, target a point within 60 feet, uh, and either launch out a flashbang shell, fragmentation shell, smoke shell. Uh, and the nice thing with these is they kind of get better as you level too and get to be more potent or get to have uh, larger radiuses. Uh, so just some cool things you do that way, especially some fun flavor with uh, the pack and how uh, it fits in with your demolitionist kit. Uh, but one of the things I know a lot of people will love with this one uh, is basically whenever you deal damage uh, using an explosive or your demo pack, uh, you may expend one use of your potent aptitude die to increase the potency. Uh, whenever you, uh, when you do so, the amount of damage you deal is increased by the amount rolled on the dice, uh, which is really good because a lot of those explosions are going to be AOEs. So you can get a lot of extra damage off, especially if you put it in a good spot on that side. Uh, kind of as that goes along, uh, when you get to level six, the pyromaniac one, last big one we'll touch on, uh, you're going to be able to cast uh, a tech power first level or higher uh, that deals kinetic or fire damage. Uh, you can uh, add your intelligence modifier to the roll. Uh, and the nice thing is that's not exclusive to just one single target, so that applies for explosion. Uh, so now you can add your intelligence modifier to the total explosion damage, which is another great way to, to get some ridiculous damage off uh, with your engineer. Uh, other cool things to check out with this one is they have a ton of modifications as well, uh, like all the engineering classes. So you go through that. There's a lot of cool things you can do to uh, help protect yourself from your own uh, kind of explosions uh, or get some crazier stuff on uh, with your tech spells and explosions. So check it out. This should uh, definitely be a fun one. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, just looking at all those mods, there's a lot of them there. This is written by uh, Rick Fisto. So thank you for that, Rick. Uh, I think like engineering or for this one specifically, um, I think use outside of combat. I think within combat, you know, probably be wild just to see how you utilize that. But, uh, you know, I think players are always trying to blow stuff up, get past barriers and whatever. And, and yeah, this one could be a fun addition to that. So cool. Check that one out. All right. Well, that is everything on the front end. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Rich and uh, have a chat with him on uh, his background in tabletops and story beats. All right, everyone. So glad to have Rich, also known as that old DM on the interwebs with us. Rich, hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. So happy to be here talking about Star Wars and one of my favorite topics. Our fans can't see him, but uh, right now he's, uh, his background is above Nar Shinar, so he's definitely kind of in the spirit with us today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, some of you that follow some of our content, um, you know, even outside of, of uh, DGM may know Rich from other pieces there. And, and uh, you know, I will say a, a fabulous storyteller and, and very wise to the inner workings of that. So I'm super excited for this topic today on Story Beats. So but first, uh, let's get to know who you are a little bit, Rich. Uh, tell us how you first got into tabletops. Uh, so it's third grade uh it is recess a guy i'm hanging out with brings the fiend folio and a old school ad character sheet that's blank to recess and probably for the next three months we just fought random things uh with dice and that was my that was my introduction to to what is 
not only Dungeons and Dragons, but what is a TTRPG? Um, but it doesn't really start going for me until sixth grade when uh, there's a lunchtime game of Marvel superheroes, TSR's flagship Marvel superheroes game every day uh, at lunchtime. And that was really where I caught the bug. And after that, I was obsessed with everything TSR could lay my hands on from top secret SI to uh, obviously uh Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and then eventually Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons. But one of my favorite purchases from a local uh, comic book store was the very first edition of the West End Games D6 Star Wars game. And I probably had 80 to 90% of the hardback books that West End Games wow. produced by the by the end of the 90s. I mean, it, uh, it was a big game for me. Um, we, can, we can maybe unpacked one of the craziest games I ever ran, which was a, a game for 97, 98. Um, but then I moved into, you know, uh, Wizards. I followed uh, all the Wizards product um, through multiple editions. Uh, I believe, and, and Tegan, we're going to have to maybe checklist this at some point, but I believe I have run and played every single published edition of Star Wars and many of the unofficial hacks. Um, in fact, I have two of my own that I've, uh put together over the years to run star wars campaigns um so star wars is a big flagship thing for me um that crazy star wars game was a group of larpers from the 90s we all played vampire the masquerade together and one of my other big uh i think pieces of evolution is we ran i was one of the storytellers that ran a hundred person vampire the masquerade game for almost three years hundred people wild. would show up wild yeah. so incredibly wild and you know the idea of staying in character for hours while you're dressed up and, and interacting with those kind of people really i think transformed who i became as a storyteller um and as todd referenced in some of the actual plays we've done i think that kind of understanding that you're in a six-hour game that's live there are no breaks everyone's in character and you have to be prepared, uh, you know, for what a hundred people might do, uh, is is just a wildly educational format. And so, some of those players moved into a Star Wars game that I ran for a long time. Um, there were about a dozen people in the game, so it was a kind of very drop in, drop out sort of thing. But it was every Tuesday for almost two years, um, very long sessions, uh, all West End D six at that time, um, and. Uh, Probably, I mean, that that game really taught me just how deep people's love for Star Wars goes. Because there were people at that game who were super fans, and there were people at that game that had barely even knew what Star Wars was. And everyone loved it, right? I mean, it was really, I saw the sort of the reach of Star Wars. And, um, you know, I think it starts, you know, with, especially with the Gen X people, you have your action figures and you're putting together little stories and then you want those stories to be more rich and more interesting. And that leads to TTRPGs. Um, and I think Star Wars always has a place there, which is really amazing. Yeah. I've definitely had players at the table that I'm not the biggest Star Wars fans, or I've only seen the original movies, right. You know, not the expanded. And, and I always tell them like, I don't have the most extensive of uh, media out there and things like that. But I think, as you said, once we get to the table, everyone starts having an amazing time. I think the setting, as you said, is a big part of that. Yeah. Fast forward a little bit and get to, you know, our, our uh, main dig here, Star Wars 5e. Uh, tell us how you came across that. Uh, so Star Wars 5e, uh, was prompted by my son initially. Uh, it's just before COVID. Uh, he's getting to the age where he wants to do some more serious role playing. Um, we got the starter set for 5e. And so he kind of understood the rules for that. But he's like, you know, I really I want to do Star Wars. And I have a, um, a another part of my life where I competitive fought lightsaber dueling for a while and, nice. and taught it, which is a whole other thing. And he was involved in that. And he's like, can we do Star Wars D&D? And so I Googled Star Wars 5e. I'm like, there has to be a hack of this. And I found the website and made a bunch of characters. And we ran uh, ran a game for quite a while on and off uh, for Star Wars 5e. And then I responded to uh, the Discord forum for a group that was looking for a DM and ran uh, a game for uh, a group that's out there on the internet called Crit Happens, 
um, that was a Star Wars 5e game, uh, obviously more serious. Uh, some of those people show up in actual plays here and there. Um, that's how I met John Todd, which I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah we had him actually on. Um, I think it was our first spotlight of the this year, actually. So, yeah. Arcanasar, yeah. Yep. Um it was it was him. He was the one that reached out and uh put put together the whole the whole thing. And it was really great. And uh and so yeah, I mean it's it's uh, I have my own dithers with 5e as a total system, which this is not the place to get into that. Um, but Star Wars is, you know, an alchemical thing, right? Like it it speaks to myth, it speaks to people's stories and i think that's why people get it and they love it and 5e is a natural thing to to have because it has so much reach and people love the system so much um and it's you know it's it's a big fantastic thing to be involved in 100 one question because this is kind of on my bucket list to do for 2023 but having played star wars across at least all the major editions what it, what, what do you kind of pull from each of the systems? What's kind of your overall feel as it's kind of evolved kind of throughout the ages? Yeah, so for those who really want the deep nerd dive, you need to research Bill Slavislek. So Bill Slavislek worked on the original West End Star Wars game and then moved over to Wizards and now uh, is the head creative at Elder Scrolls Online. But his um, impact on Star Wars... Uh, Basically, he wrote the playbook that Pablo Hidalgo reads because all the West End product is just immensely rich with details, you know. Um, and so one of the things that I always drew from the West End game was how things work, like how the rebellions organized, how the empires organized, how ranks work, how the equipment works, how um squads of people are organized particularly in the empire and the kinds of missions they do because the west end products go so deep into all of that so i I always carry that one forward um d20 has uh the, the the original west wizards version of star wars has some really interesting ideas in how the powers work and how how the force uh sort of it's there's a throughput from west end into the Star Wars Wizards game uh, and how the powers work. And I, and to me, that's how the powers work. Like when you think about it, they're, they're not quite spells, but they're like techniques. And every Jedi is doing something very specific and they may have learned to do it in a different way, but the thing they're doing is very specific. And um, when I look at force powers, that is very canonized in my brain. And when I, play a more narrative version of the game i still fall back on the control sense alter concept right and there's these three main sciences of how to manipulate the 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 force and within that in each one of those think of like three martial arts right like one's kung fu one's karate and one's tai chi right you learn these three different arts and each one has techniques and moves inside of it and those are the force powers and that's a thing that has kind of always stuck with me Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of the stuff in, for content wise with adventures and things, you know, all that stuff still exists out there and, and they've been great references. Um, I ran Tempest Feud, which was, I think, a D20 adventure. I don't think it was Saga Edition. I think it was for D20 there. But um, yeah, seeing, you know, as you dive into that stuff, even looking for adventures, you're going to come across the mechanics of, of those systems. And and it's it's always interesting to see how, you know, how that stuff relates or or doesn't relate and maybe you can utilize it yeah yeah there's a there's a hack of masks rpg called jedi hearts that i mentioned in tegan's discord the other day and the living force campaign has that almas jedi Mm -hmm. uh planet right that is the perfect place to set jedi hearts where nice. you're a bunch of Padawan. Like, it's like the perfect setting material for it. That um, guide, go on eBay and look up the Living Force and get the campaign guide. Like, it is such a great little, it's on its own in the galaxy because they just made it this compact thing. And like, there's just, it's such good content. Yeah. Like Rich mentioned, like one of the craziest things, I didn't really get into like the Star Wars games until later. Saga was my first one. Uh, but I read Wikipedia a lot. And like the D6 adventures, those ones like, it feels like half of like Wikipedia stuff, like the reference back to it came from the old TTRPG adventures. Like it's just crazy how much of an impact it had shaping uh, the EU. Well, there's two reasons for that. One reason is because that it was just 
the it was a canonized set of books, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of Star Wars knowledge was not in books. It was in the Lucasfilm people's heads. And those books were the first time a lot of it was put into print. But the other reason is the, uh, you know, the, the head editor on the revised Star Wars encyclopedia was Bill Slavislek. And so he brought a lot of those references into that. And once it made it into that kind of reference, oh yeah, that's that's what Wikipedia is built off of, is all of those guides. So I know this may be a loaded question, but before we move on, which, which one's your favorite? If you play them all, you've gone through, you ran them all, you said too. Yep. I, I know it's loaded, but what's your favorite? What's my favorite? So, you know, one of the issues of going back to the old games is they run with old style TTRPG methodology. And I think Star Wars 5e is kind of like a beautiful umbrella of all of this material that's out there. And if I were to tell people, you know, if I had to run a published version of Star Wars, if I wasn't allowed to do my own hack, which as Todd knows is a hard task sometimes (laughs) to get me to do, is to run something right out of the book. But I would pick Star Wars 5e. I think the tools are amazing. I think uh, there's so much thought, the width and breadth of the character classes and options that are available. People can make anything they want. And and I do think that that is what Star Wars should be. And I would say that that, it's still a resource I go back and read. I may not run the game as is uh, for a lot of reasons, but that has nothing to do with Star Wars 5e, the product. It has everything to do with 5e, the system. Uh, And... uh, and I would still, you can pick up and run it. Like, that's the thing. It's Star Wars 5e. You can pick up and run it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, as you, you said earlier too, Rich, just the the reach that the system has already. I mean, that's a big part of it. And and Star Wars. Star, I'm probably most comfortable with running Star Wars 5e because I know Star Wars setting well enough, right? We talked about this. We ran, Tegan, on your channel, Blades in the Dark. And like, i just clueless to that setting. And, and I don't you know, necessarily have the time or the ambition to sit down and read through that lore. So I think that's another appeal with Star Wars is it's mostly common knowledge out there. So, well, let's get into our specific topic here, uh, story beats. Uh, super excited for this. So we're going to talk about what story beats are and, and uh, as a GM, how to kind of uh, look to those and utilize those when you are running a campaign, either on the front end, when you're planning things out, and then as things are going. So Rich, start us off and what are story beats? So story beats, uh, to my understanding, I believe Blake Snyder was the first person to publish any material. But when you look at how a story is structured and what are the components of the different scenes and where does the story go over the course of a play or a television show or a film, there are these moments in time that have to happen in order for the audience to understand what is what is transpiring in the story. And those are the beats, right? Those are the moments. And so when you look at any media, whether it's a novel or a play or, uh, or a film, or even really an adventure module, there's certain moments, beats that you have to hit. And it's somewhat of a musical reference, but it's also a reference to this idea that there are these moments that absolutely have to happen in order for the story to go forward. And so screenwriters studied uh, Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat, um, which essentially told them how to uh, produce this. And everyone from Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad to you know lots of people have utilized you know, story beat methodologies to structure stories that have peaks and valleys. So there's an emotional buy-in by the audience as things happen. And so that's what story beats are. Fast forward to uh, more modern times, Robin Laws, the uh, incredible TTRPG designer, writer, and podcaster, wrote a book called Hamlet's Hit Points that took the story beat model and applied it more to TTRPGs. And that book breaks it down into two components, types and resolutions. So it's the idea that there's a type of beat that's happening. Are you giving information? Are you uh, doing a process? Is it an investigation? And there's the resolution beat. What happened coming out of that beat? And does it go up or down? Or what's the impact, et cetera, et cetera? And I think that's uh, you know it's a big thing that I think GMs you know, will constantly utilize, even if they're not familiar with this concept, you're doing that all the time, right? You're, you're, you're planning that stuff on the front end, and then you're reacting to, you know, what the players do. Um, and, and, you know, having 
using those outcomes and, and things like that. Um, you've, I think you've touched on it a little bit, but uh, next kind of question here, I think to, to just make sure we uh, clean up is why do the story beats matter? What what is the significance of um, you know at least having a an idea of what this uh, this concept is? So the reason it matters is because of engagement, whether it's audience engagement or the tables engagement in a game or uh, the audience watching an actual play, right? The reason to have beats and why they matter is because you want there to be emotional buy-in. And these beats help communicate the story, but also manipulate the emotions of the audience and players at the same time. And so they matter in order to have a truly immersive experience or a total experience. Um, one thing that we might get into at some point, I've talked about it in other podcasts, is emergent storytelling. The idea that the story is happening at the table in front of you, it's not a pre-planned set of components. And you really need to understand story beats in order for emergent storytelling to work. Um, so the whole play to find out kind of concept that lives out there is, is really important uh, for this. But also they're really important for making a pre-structured module work. Because how when modules fall flat, one of the reasons that they fall flat is there's no emotional buy-in and there's no engagement. It's very little to do with the module itself. 100%. I know the modules are kind of a core area where people can go wrong with it, but where do you think most DMs usually go wrong with kind of structuring the story beats? Uh, well, not understanding the the value of the sequence that's in front of them, right? So if you're entering you know, a dungeon or a Sith crypt, how are you evoking information, right? And and what's the buy-in for the player characters? And you have to know, uh, is this a horror beat? Am I foreshadowing? Am I dropping information for them to grab later? Am I pushing on the tensions of the party because some of the party doesn't want to be in the Sith crypt in the first place, right? And these are all emotional components to the story. And entering the crypt won't tell you how to do that. The, GM has to execute that at the table. And that's why this is really important to understand. Definitely. So yeah, expand on that, Rich. Uh, you know, how do we use these at the table? That's a great example there. If it helps to pull it back a little bit uh, higher level and, and how might a GM sit down and uh, maybe start with like, if if this would be your approach before you, you haven't, you're planning your campaign, right? We're, we're in a planning phase. How might you um, try to reference this concept at that point. Yeah, so let's, let me take it from a module perspective first, right? So you have a pre-written module in front of you and you're going room by room in the you know centerpiece of the campaign. Like we'll call it a Sith crypt. And as you're reading each room, you need to understand what is the beat type that this room should have at the table. Is this a room that they enter to gather information therefore a procedural type beat. Is this a room they enter in that has danger? So it's an action beat. Or is this something else, right? Is there some sort of dramatic element or um, anticipation? Anticipation and gratification are two types of story beats that Robin Laws talks about that are really important ones because sometimes a room foreshadows something that's later in the dungeon. And then other times, it's gratification, like this is the treasure room. And those two kind of beats are handled very differently at a table. And when you're prepping for a module, you need to kind of look at each room and go, okay, each one of these is a scene and Star Wars is a visual medium. A lot of times when we show up at a Star Wars game, we want to recreate Star Wars mythos, right? We want to be in Star Wars. We want to be running down the, the Death Star halls with Han Solo. Right. Like that's what we're trying to achieve is that feeling. And so understanding the kind of emotional beat that goes into that sequence is important. Also, if you get really good at story beats, you'll know how to smash cut away the same way Lucas does in the movies where he where he he swipes scenes, the scene swiping. Right. And there's a lot of that smash cut element that happens that generates energy and it's a really interesting trick because a lot of times splitting the party is like the worst thing you can do to game, right? Because you have one group of players that's now not engaged and you have a second group that is engaged and you need to smash cut between those two. As I say, the great, a great point about splitting the party. I think the 
you know, it's always don't split the party because one half is going to get in trouble, right? Like that's what everyone hears. But I think what you just said, Rich, I think is the true thing to make note of is, is the engagement that there is people not doing anything. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just look at the fantastic, uh, you know, uh, garbage scene from a new hope, right? You have one group of characters who are droids in a, you know, a room and you have another group of characters in the garbage pit dealing with it and they're and they're you're smash cutting between the two of them and there is some overlap right in a movie but how do you do that in an rpg well first of all you have to make sure that neither group is ever fully disconnected right Mm -hmm. um now there's a lot of people that have talked about this over the years that 3po and r2 are the hirelings or the cohorts or or whatever right they're not true characters um probably if it was a party but there is this idea that you you know we also have the fantastic scenario in return of the jedi where you have one group on the the moon of endor in a combat sequence and you have another group in space in a combat sequence and then you have luke fighting vader on the death star in a combat sequence and you got to smash cut back and forth to keep all these people engaged. And that is a thing that may very well happen in your Star Wars game is that your players are, are, are completely separated. And knowing the beats, what is each one doing? Right. What is the point of, of what each group is facing um, so that you can cut back and forth to them? And then we have, you know, initiative rounds and there are all kinds of, you know, mechanical things that you can do. But at the end of the day, in order to execute it well, you have to keep them engaged. And that's understanding where the emotional buy-in, right? Because when you cut back to Luke in the duel, what's being said? How is it being uh, executed? What's the energy? That's very different than what Han and Leia are doing on the surface. 100%. 100%. One, I know a lot of our viewers may have a kind of a question, just how do you do that? Especially because a lot of times when players split the party, uh, it's, uh, it's a surprise to the DM as well. Uh, and so how do you kind of make sure that both sides have something that's kind of fun and engaging to do, especially when you're coming up on, on the fly usually? And this is, I think, goes back to when you're prepping, you know, your module ahead of time. You need to make notes to yourself uh, in the module about what the point of each room is. So you don't have to think about that at the table you, you sort of need to pre-plan it so if one room is an investigation room you want to write that down this is going to be investigation beat here are maybe three clues or five clues i want them to have before that scene resolves and that way when you smash cut back to that room you can just look at your notes and execute you're not thinking of it at the table and this is this is a lot of the trick but you know part of it is understanding what needs to happen in that room what is the beat what is the point? Why are we doing this scene? And if you know that ahead of time and it's there in your notes and it's pre-thought, then it's great. The other thing is that exercise will also teach you what rooms are not important. And if there's filler rooms that you don't have anything good to use, then you can move past those rooms very quickly. There's no beat in this room. This is a pause. This is a potential opportunity for them to take a rest. Or, or or something else, right? And and knowing that ahead of time is really important. Some of those rooms there in module design are there so that there are fallback points. This is something a lot of DMs don't think about is, well, we, what was the point of this really long hallway? Well, that could be a place where maybe they could lock the doors and hold, you know, hold from if things go badly in a combat encounter later or before. And they could fall back to this hallway. And again, when you're looking at this module map, you want to think about, okay, is this just a a, a rest slash fallback room? And there's no beat here. And if that's true, great. But then let's imagine that, you know, Vader's on his way down and you, you know he's going to intercept them. You put that in dramatic encounter in the hallway. Right at the table, you're like, oh, I'm going to put that in the hallway because there's nothing going on in this hallway. That's where he's going to intercept them. Right. And we're going to have this big dramatic moment there. And then they're going to make whatever choice they're going to make. Right. And that's sort of an ad hoc at the table interpretation because you didn't know that 
Vader would be alerted and you, you thought they were going to stealth their way through the encounter and they decided to blow up the first room of the thermal detonator and bring the whole place down on top of them. Right? As they do. At, mm-hmm. As they do, right? And and so these are all components that, that you need to think about. And, and so if you understand the, the method of the beats, the types of beats that exist, um, you can you know, really understand that. And so like, for example, a example in the anticipation beat of uh, Hamlet's hit points is Popeye eats a spinach, right? Because we know what's going to happen, right? The anticipation is, oh, he got the spinach, right? Or Bruce Banner is transforming into the Hulk. Again, we know what's going to happen. Uh, and that's in a really important beat to, to emotionally fixate on, right? It, it's that... Uh, it's also the moment when Luke is on Jabba's sail barge and his hand reaches up and the lightsaber goes flying out of R2's top and we know what's about to happen, right? That is, that is an anticipation beat. We've already seen that Luke Skywalker is capable of things, but we haven't seen him light up his lightsaber yet. And things are about to get real. Definitely. And kind of with the anticipation beats, we talked about kind of Star Wars being a part of the culture, even for people who... Uh, may not have watched all the movies or may not be like super fans. They kind of just know just through osmosis in the culture a bit about Star Wars. Uh, do you feel it's easier to kind of build anticipation beats with Star Wars compared to other uh, other settings you may work in? Or, Well, the thing about Star Wars is, you know, Lucas was very uh, elaborately skilled in not only Joseph Campbell's, you know, hero's journey process, right? But he was also very much understood screenwriting beats and these kind of concepts, right? And so there's a lot of great examples for every beat type in Star Wars. Like Star Wars is a, is a classic example of a hero's journey being put on television or on, on film. And you can see those beats happen. And we see them in, in The Mandalorian as well, right? There's an entire info drops where we're being fed information. That's called a pipe beat. There's big questions that are answered, like when, uh, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Mandalorian season two, but when Luke Skywalker shows up to take Grogu away to train, you're like, well, what happens now? That's a question beat, right? And it's a question beat we sat with for a very long time until, spoiler alert, you know, Mandalorian season 2.5 happens at the end of Book of Boba Fett, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know, the, it's it's all set up, right? That is a beat that is set up and then resolved and delivered very eloquently in Book of Boba Fett. And so you're like, well, how do I do that at the table? Well, you have to recognize what are the big questions that you might ask during this module. And, and if you don't have a big question to ask, it's going to be very hard to have a point of curiosity for your players. Um you know, Todd got to experience the Dead Planet actual play that I did um, from Mothership. And one of the things that I, I really, really structured is what is my end question reveal beat for every every session? And I knew how every session had to end in order to set things up in a very cinematic way. And there was a beat I was aiming at for the entire session. Because you never know what the players are going to do, but you know where the beat is where you're going to end. And the only way to know that is to read through the module, which Dead Planet's a published module. I didn't write it, and know where those great endpoints are, and aim at them over an entire you know episode or session. Um, and I, I've I did that a lot with um, Powered by the Apocalypse games. It's 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 a thing that I did for several years as I was experimenting with that style of game. Is how do I end the game on a cliffhanger every week? Right. And it's a great exercise to do. It's like, can you end on a cliffhanger? Can you pre-figure out a cliffhanger ending that you want, write it on an index card, and then aim at that and execute it over a two to three hour session? Because if you know how to do that, you're going to leave your players really wanting the game not to end. And that's the best way to bring them back for next week. How do you do that without, you know, not to, to say the bad word here in tabletop rule, but railroading? Well, again, it's a question beat or it's a reveal beat, right? You're not railroading. You're just saying, I want to end with this question. What happens right. now? Or I want this uh, 
them to see their ship blowing up at the very end of the of the session right right and and that's the kind of thing or a reveal right you can sometimes side cut into uh let's say there's a, a holograph uh, hologram uh message that they have in a chip right and they spend they find it early in the session well you know ahead of time they're not going to be able to unlock it until the end of the session and then that reveal is going to be you know the end moment of of right scene you still let the players make the die roll but you're like okay make your die roll to hack and uh, you know decrypt this message like awesome so you've now got that set up and the clock is running and it's going to take 40 minutes for this to decode or render right and you know that's the rest of your session right and at the end of the session their successful de-encryption of the chip is going to go off but it's going to happen at the very end of the session and it's going to make for a great reveal awesome yeah so there is um i want to mention this uh you mentioned the hamlet hit points and um storybeats.io a website out there that utilizes this concept and applies it to i mean there's like endless analysis on media out there uh but we'll specifically link in the show notes of our episode um the narrative beat analysis for star wars a new hope specifically and it basically goes through, it looks like there's uh, 22 beats that it analyzes the entire movie. And it says like, you know, it shows the direction when it's an up, a down or whatever. And then the type of beats, which uh, are listed there on the left of this page so you can learn. So we talked about anticipation beats, you know, dramatic beats, uh, pipelines, questions. Uh, and it's just a great reference, I think, for everyone out there looking uh, for more info on this concept to understand. Because I think when you have an example like this, that everyone should know A New Hope, that you can look and say, okay, uh, you know, beat two is procedural. Darth Vader boards the rebel ship to get the structural plans back from the rebel forces. You know, that shows us, uh, you know, as a procedural beat, uh, character confronts an external obstacle. So we're seeing that in the movie and, and how that applies. So this is a good, great reference there. Um, Rich, I think as we work to wrap up here, so obviously, like if you look at this New Hope analysis, there's, as I said, 22 beats, you know, of, of course, this long movie. What would be a good way to dip your toes into this concept and apply them to your, you know, either session or campaign, you know, at a very low level, but what would be a good way to kind of, you know, get started with that? Yeah, actually. So in Hamlet's hit points, one of the examples that he uses to teach it, because again, this is a TTRPG book, not save the cat, which is for screenwriters is called the guy with the hat in a tavern. Right. And it's your classic, you know, fantasy scenario and so the pcs meet in a tavern a guy with a funny hat tells him about a cave complex this is a pipe beat right this is this is you're just giving them information they travel toward the site on the way they see a shadowy lurking figure watching them from the tree line this is a question beat who is this person why is this person following us what is the heck is going on Along the way, they encounter an oracle who offers to see the fortune if one of them can beat her in a game of cards. This is a procedural beat. It's a contest, right? You're going to do this, this fortune-telling card game. Um, the oracle goes into a trance and supplies a terrifying prophecy of doom. Again, question, what, 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 what the heck is happening here? And then approaching the dungeon, they apprehend the skulking figure, so they finally find the person that's been following them. This is procedural. Um, Again, probably a combatish encounter or stealthy ambush type encounter. Uh, interrogating him, they learn he's a strange creature called a cobalt and that the cave complex is a nest of his kinfolk. So this is the reveal. Oh, okay. This so now we know that this place that we're going to is going to be filled with these cobalt creatures, and we have access to this cobalt to find out what what is a cobalt, right? And then reaching the cave complex they use a password they learned from the cobalt to gain entrance this is procedural right and again upbeats because now good things are happening to them yeah so you, you have the specific beats yep you have this the beat types but there's also the the trajectory you know up down which is hope and fear right so when something goes up the characters are hopeful and it's a it's a good beat and when it goes down it's fearful in other words things mm -hmm. are not going well so in these last three they find the skull figure, they interrogate him, they learn the information, they use the password. Things are going great for them, right? So what needs to happen next? Something bad. So the angry kobolds on the other side attack them. Procedural ambush. Downbeat, 
right? And then the very last beat in the example is the adventurers defeat the Cobalts, take their stuff, procedural, treasure, you know, orienting, you get all the loot, that's an upbeat, and that's the end of your session, right? And that's a nine-beat element that is effectively your, you meet in a tavern, basic 101 scenario. Yeah. And um, this is uh, page 23 and 24 in Hamlet's Hit Points, if you manage to grab it. I think it's also uh, on the Story Beats website somewhere, the guy with the hat in the tavern. And you can kind of see this, but this is a super basic example of how you would use this in your prep and then how this leverages it at the table. And the thing to understand is if you're in an up or down beat, you as a DM know what you're doing. Are you foreshadowing hope or are you foreshadowing fear? Are you making things harder for the players or are you making things good for the players? And a lot of times there are all these horror stories in the in the in the TTRPG community about GMs that just dominate games and they just crush players, right? And one of the things they're doing is just constantly lopping down beats, right? There's there's never an upbeat. The players right. never achieve anything. Right. They're just being beaten down and chased and run off. And there's it's just down, 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 down. Do you know what down, 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 down beats? What genre that is? That's a horror movie because everyone is getting killed. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's the very much the final girl slasher flick kind of thing, right? Horror movies generally end on a lower beat in the trajectory path than they started at because things start normal and then it's just perpetually worse. And maybe there's a tiny little upbeat at the end where the final girl character gets away, but everyone else died. Right. Right. The entire scream franchise is based on this like thing. Right. And so if you're at a table and that's, what's happening, it's like, Oh, we're in a horror movie. That's now, if that's what you showed up for. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. If if that's what you're doing, that's fine. You know, I think that's a good point to make, but uh, if you're not, if you're trying to do a heroic traditional story of star Wars, you know, don't do that as a DM. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, as you were explaining that example, I I had the thought that I think it would be great for, for uh, GMs out there to, analyze their own, you know, sessions, maybe look at your past two or three sessions and try to apply these beats, this beat analysis to that, you know, you've already done this. And I think we're all probably utilizing these concepts without even knowing we're using them. Then maybe you could find ways to improve that and and learn to do, uh, do so forward. So just be a little bit more intentional with that. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and, and part of it is to know what you're doing, right? Like, the reason analysis is important is to understand how you can improve, right? And it's very hard to improve when there's no set system to compare yourself to. I mean, think about it. There's no grading scale for being a DM, right? At the end of your session, the players don't fill out feedback cards and go, you've got a C today, Rich. Right. <laughs> What's wrong with you, right? Um, that that That's not a thing that happens. So we have to look for systems. And these are these are existing story systems. And... They're systems that organically connect with the Star Wars. And and so why wouldn't we use something, if we're trying to emulate Star Wars, why wouldn't we use a system that allows us to, to, you know, leverage the same kind of outcome? And I've successfully used all of these things. Um, So I I know it can be done. It's just a question of every GM's skill set with you know, how quickly they can use it. And maybe it's just the up, down, hope, fear cycle. Maybe that's the only thing you need to add. Or maybe you're like, oh, you know what? I don't do enough procedural or question or pipe type beats. Maybe I don't give enough information to my players. Maybe I don't I don't place them in situations where they can shine often enough. And and this just allows you to 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 dictate this. At one point I tried to turn this into a random table, it was like a, a a six by six. I rolled two D six and one would tell me the up and down, and one would tell me the uh um the type the beat of beat. type, yeah. The beat type, it did not work out well. <laughs> so I don't know that you can you can randomly can't execute proceduralize this. it, yeah. <laughs> um but uh but just understanding the concept of it is is really important, um, and you can also you know potentially uh, one thing is what's the beat your session is starting on, and what is the beat your session is ending on, mm-hmm. right? If you just do those, you'll probably improve your engagement at the table. 
and potentially the turnout because you're starting on a strong understood point and you're going to end on a strong and understood point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think more so now that we've you know added to that discussion there is is analysis of what you've done. Go back, look at your past sessions, make some notes. Deegan, I know you've done a lot where you've done kind of session recaps, which I think are always great. Um, so one that's you know helpful for the players, but then you as a as a DM can look back at that and be like, okay, I see you know the trajectory here, up and down, and and the specific types. And I think that would be a lot of value to the other DMs out there to try that. So yeah, lots there, lots more. We could probably continue this discussion on. Check out Hamlet Hit Points. We'll have links to that. Uh, some of this other stuff we've talked about. Rich, as always a blast. Uh, we'll have to get you back on, on something else, maybe expand this topic or something else down the road. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys. Was love to help the, not only the DJM podcast, but also the Star Wars 5e community. I mean, there's some great people out there. I've met some great friends, uh, you know, through this community. So this is really exciting. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Definitely. All right. Always fantastic time talking with Rich. I uh, hope to have him on again soon. Be sure to check out uh, some of the things we talked about. We'll have links in the show notes, uh, Hamlet's Hit Points, the Story Beats, I think it's .io, uh, as we talked about the stuff with like A New Hope and things like that. Uh, but yeah, check that stuff out. I think there's a lot of value that it can bring you at the table as a GM. Uh, Tegan, next episode, as we kind of teased at the beginning, uh, we're going to touch on campaign themes and ways to think about you know, what your campaign is about and doing that. And, and definitely, as we mentioned, drawing inspiration from media. Uh, expand on that a little bit. Definitely. One of the nice things, we're kind of in a great period for Star Wars shows and movies, or more shows now than movies, but uh, a lot of times, especially if you're DMing, take inspiration from what they've done on screen. And that's what we're going to be talking about next uh, episode is how to take some of the themes, like uh, maybe from an Andor and comparing it to maybe the Rebels, which has like a completely different style and theme to how they're portraying uh, the same or Rebellion movement, how you can kind of utilize uh, that with uh, how Rick mentioned, or Rich mentioned being kind of intentional in your planning, how you can kind of use those themes and kind of twist them to where you need to go by just setting what you want to do and what you what type of theme you're shooting for. So tune in next week. I think that'd be a fun one to go over, especially with some of the more recent shows too. Absolutely. So much out there to draw inspiration from. Uh, so yeah, that should be a great chat. All right, that is pretty much everything for us on today's episode. Uh, be sure to check out over at Tegan's channel tonight for an episode of Stranded and then head back over there Friday for that Order 66 challenge. If you are running the Order 66 challenge and buy the book uh, with the provided PCs and whatnot, let us know what your team does as far as score. Come to the Dungeon Jedi Master Discord and let us know and, and we'll get a little kind of unofficial uh, rank there, um, scoreboard there to see uh, how everyone matches up. Uh, with that, thank you so very much to all of our listeners and followers. We will see you on the next one. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.